0: This show is a Rochester Podcast production. For advertising information, please contact us at Network at gmail.com. Welcome back to the Chris Kanye Show. Thank you so much for checking us out again. Thank you for subscribing, telling your friends, sharing this video. Thank you to the over 2,000 people who watched the last episode. I hope we keep growing. And speaking of growing, I have two very, very special guests today. Uh, this topic... We've covered before on the show with one of the people on today, and I haven't had anybody... I haven't had an episode talked about more. People approach me about any other episode more than the CBD episode we did last time. So I'm excited to have back with uh, with me today is Steve Vandewall.
1: Good to see you. Thanks for having me I back. think
0: I said Waal last all right. time. Okay, so
1: Steve Common Van- mistake.
0: <laughs> Steve Vanderwall and joining the show for the first time is Emily Kyle.
2: Hi. Thank you so much for having me. How's it going, guys? Great, I'm excited.
1: Yeah, thanks for having us.
0: Great, yeah. So a lot of people, um, Steve, uh, watched our episode last time, and I learned a lot. I'm not saying I retained it all, because it was all brand new. Um, And uh, they they wanted you back on. So I figured, let's add... Fuel to the Fire and bring Emily along with us. Thank Can you, you. just uh, give a little bit of an introduction? We'll start with Emily since you're new to who you are, what you do, what, yeah. why you're here.
2: I'm born and raised in Rochester, New York. Uh, originally started my career as a registered dietitian nutritionist in the last kind of year or so, really transitioned into the cannabis space. Um, a lot of people might know me. I've been on 13 Wham News on Good Day Rochester for the last four years, um, but now really kind of going all things cannabis, which is exciting this year.
0: And Steve, for people who are who didn't catch the last episode...
1: Yeah, uh, my name is Steve Vandewal. I am a entrepreneur and activist in this space. Uh, I work closely with Rock Normal and the rest of the Start Smart Coalition. Um, we've really spearheaded the legalization movement in New York. Uh, and I'm also a consultant in the hemp and cannabis space, helping small farmers uh, learn how to grow hemp in preparation to transition into adult-use marijuana. So, both
0: of you are active on social media, as active as you can be.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, where are we with, and forgive my ignorance, Emily. Steve knows I know nothing <laughs> about this. This is why you guys are here. Uh, for, the, for the people you know, who are most important, which are the viewers and listeners, where are we? Where are we with CBD? What, uh, what's, what fight are we fighting? What if somebody who doesn't know, you know uh, how close we are to where we need to go? Can you just break down the status of CBD here in, in New York?
1: Uh, yeah, so just to kind of rewind a little bit, so we were full-fledged uh, advocating last year for an adult legal, a comprehensive legalization bill that included improvements to the medical marijuana program, uh, legalizing for adult, aka recreational use, and creating a framework for the uh, ever-popular hemp and CBD industry. And obviously that bill, uh, which was called the MRTA, the Marijuana Regulation and Taxation Act, wasn't passed. Uh, the that was pretty devastating for us activists. I think I fell into like a 30-day depression because I never <laughs> thought in a million years it was going to fail, but it did. Uh, I have there, a little something for you if you need it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think we all probably do in this room. Um, but the good news is is that um, Donna Lapardo, who is an assemblywoman out of uh, Binghamton, has really been spearheading the hemp and CBD movement to create a regulatory framework for the hemp CBD market and... Um, late, late last year, early this year, uh, we pushed through the hemp extract bill, which has created that, that regulatory framework. So we can now have, uh, less, uh, uh, an actually above ground legitimate CBD market because for the longest time it was the wild west. You know, you had people growing who may or may not have licenses. You had them using, you know. Uh, extraction and, and processing operations in their garage. You know, For a market where now 14% of Americans are now using CBD, there really wasn't a process or any sort of regulatory framework to ensure that customers were actually getting quality products or even what was actually in the bottle. And I've, I've heard stories of how there's this uh, gas station chain around here that was selling CBD lollipops, which according to Ag Markets, there's no CBD allowed in food or beverage. And when the police were talking to them, they said, actually, it's just a marketing gimmick. We don't even have CBD in them. We just do it as an upsell. So there's a whole conundrum of illegitimacies that have really uh, entwined themselves in this industry. So the good news is not only do we have this hemp extract bill that was passed that now create a a more regulatory framework, tomorrow we're expecting the governor to release his budget and in there will be uh, a comprehensive bill for adult use legalization.
0: And well, at the end of this episode, since we're recording it uh, when we are, uh, the day before you get that information, uh, maybe Steve, you could cut uh, some kind of update and I'll throw it at the end of the video after tomorrow. So when people watch this, it'll be more current, or both of you, you know, I'll have a, both of you at home or something kind of video. So wait till the end of the video, you'll get an update on what happened with that information.
1: Yeah, just be patient because the bill is comprehensive. It's 195 pages of very intricate legalese and I'm not an attorney, so it's gonna take us a little bit of time to get through it. Uh, but part of our statewide coalition uh, is a whole bunch of really knowledgeable attorneys who will be diving into each different pillar of cool. the legislation. So uh, we will we will have an update once we're finished going through it.
0: And Emily, you're along the same lines of just waiting for this, you know, potential Christmas morning, a th- uh, moment or patiently
2: waiting and really kind of while I'm waiting, my role is really a cannabis educator in teaching people, you know, okay, we have CBD, you can buy a hundred different products. What is a quality product? How do you know it's safe and teaching people what to look for in terms of extraction methods, added ingredients, third-party lab tests, teaching people how to read certificates of analysis, because if we don't have a regulatory framework in place right now, people are still using it. and. And I really am big on empowering people to make those safe education, educated decisions for themselves.
0: So when, you, when I think of uh, CBD activists, if I hear something, that title, I'm, you know, at first I'm thinking they just want it to be legal, man. And everybody could enjoy every, what you're really fighting for is the regulation. You're fighting for a safe
2: safety and we're fighting for safety and I'm fighting for education. And I feel like there is a drastic lack of education when it comes to cannabis and responsibly using cannabis as medicine and as lifestyle medicine in mm-hmm. terms of recreation as well. Um, a lot of naysayers or people who are intimidated by cannabis are just uneducated. And I really think that education can help solve a lot of these issues that we're currently facing.
0: In the areas that this is legal, right? Are there are other states that, what states uh, have legalized this uh, successfully? Uh, well, there's
1: 11, 11 recreational states, right? Uh, Illinois was the most recent who mm-hmm. actually First put First of it, the year. For, yeah, and they, uh, they put it through their legislature, which is exactly the way we wanted to do mm-hmm. it, and they had a lot of success. They have a great activist community in, in Illinois. Um, so 11 states total with an adult use program and 35 states with medical marijuana programs. Yes. And even some of the more red states have medical marijuana programs. So this is, from a medical perspective, this is almost... Uh, it's almost it's undeniable at this point. Sure. You know, right. all the states will slowly and slowly uh, kind of transition. Um, but yeah, we're on we're on route to, I believe, within the next four or five years, a full federal legalization.
0: Yep. Emily mentioned the naysayers. What what is their argument? I know you you say they're uneducated. They just don't yep. know uh, what you think they should know. But what is what is what is their argument? I mean, is it just because of well, you inhibitions know, and stuff? Or? Fear.
2: Lack of education leads to fear. And for the last 80, 90 years of prohibition, we've been fed nothing but fear of all the things that can go wrong when you use cannabis. Um, but with responsible education, you avoid sure. those things that go wrong. You can use it well and you can use it to improve your health. Um, but where does that education lie and where do we start to feel comfortable trusting ourselves and trusting the information that we're given to really explore and kind of learn how to use this plant for ourselves because as we know it's so highly unique to each and every one of us that one set thing doesn't work for everybody.
1: And, and we're kind of going you know we have a really you you know educators like you have an even more complicated task because not only are we transitioning out of this reefer madness you know eight decades of prohibition and you know kind of nonsensical education that we've kind of have burned into our minds not only do we have to transition from it's not actually bad it's good and not only is it good it's proving to be one of the most medicinally and uh, medicinally efficacious products and plants on, uh, in the world, right? And that's just the marijuana side. You start looking mm-hmm. at, you know, the utilitarian uh, uh, usages of hemp, right? They say something like ten th- hemp can be used for 10,000 different things, including bioplastics and biofuels and all these natural resources and all these fossil fuels that are contributing to the climate crisis can actually be replaced by using uh industrial hemp so it's it's a culture change right and the problem with this industry that really is especially in the marijuana industry where there's virtually no standardized education Mm -hmm. is that you have a lot of self-proclaimed experts out (laughs) there and this uh, industry is incredibly complicated from an agricultural scientific and social perspective unless you have like really formalized training uh like people like emily then there's people out there that are spewing a lot of information that may not only be incorrect, but entirely false. And with so many people new to this industry that are really vulnerable, they're not taking this information with a grain of salt. So you have to sift through a lot of crap to find people who are actually knowledgeable. But the problem is, is like we're in this middle of this transition period. So education and research are probably amongst the most fundamental important things that we need to legitimize this industry. Um, but we're starting to see it. We're starting people to people coming out of the cannabis closet. We're starting to see platforms like Greenflower Media, which is really an education-focused digital platform that has lectures from reputable scientists and stuff like that. So we're getting there. Um, but you have to, you know, once you get to a certain level of understanding of this industry, you start to realize how much bullshit is actually mm-hmm. floating through this industry uh, really nationwide. Yeah.
0: Well, it's in demand, right? Anything in demand, people, everybody wants a, a cut and wants their piece of the pie. And it makes, I mean, it's, I guess it's human slash business nature, right?
2: Well, and coming from a medical side too, and you know, a lot of people are like, it's big pharma versus cannabis, which they're kind of intertwined at this point, if you ask me. But when we think about Prescription medications that we make there based on one single molecule, and we know how to use that molecule. We know how to dose that molecule. We know what that molecule will do. The cannabis plant itself contains over two hundred different active compounds. Gotcha. Each plant, in and of itself, is different and contains different cannabinoids and different terpenes. So the nuance that comes in with cannabis is very hard for medical professionals to handle because it is variable across the board per, from person to person, and the kind of healthcare. Uh, environment that we're in right now, we don't have time to give that individualized care to people and and hold their hands and walk them through the process. So in terms of our current medical system, we can't really support, um, I feel like the education and the handholding that we need to get people safely using cannabis right now.
1: And, you know, it's interesting because big, you know, big pharmaceutical companies are very much trying to penetrate this industry. Mm -hmm. But the, the, the scientific model of produ- of drug discovery comes down to producing a single molecule, right? This, you have a depression, here's a molecule. You have IBS, here's a molecule. Cannabis, what we know, very we know very little scientifically about cannabis right now, but what we do know, what is factual and, and unarguable at this point is that it works better as a whole plant yes. medicine, which means all the cannabinoids, all the terpenes, mm. all the flavonoids are present. That is undeniable. We look at studies that have tested, you know, the variable groups are one group has full spectrum one has an isolate and every time the isolates work less but this isolate model where you know you take Mm -hmm. a whole plant extract and you only pull the cbd so you have a 99.9 percent cbd concentration that is synonymous with the pharmaceutical model so my question is okay yeah the pharmaceutical companies are going to inevitably get in this industry but they're going to have to change their fundamental framework of drug discovery to be able to truly research this plant if they want to be able to create products that are full spectrum or whole plant but right now you know they're very much targeting the isolate industry and the products are just less effective and can even have adverse effects when you when you have these isolates so it's you know do you think it should stay separate then is that what you're getting at should should big Big farm, people who make.
2: It can't, it won't, but I feel like people, again, education and understanding where these products are coming from, why they're being made the way that they are. Um, But I also worry about the isolate and and pulling things out as well, because then people don't get the benefits that they're looking for, and then will discredit um, Mm. the power that cannabis can have. Or I've had people say, you know, I I did a CBD once and it didn't work for me. And then they spread that information out, and I feel like it greatly harms the entire industry. because we know it can significantly help so many people.
0: So what's the perfect scenario? Is the perfect scenario everybody could buy regulated, let's say, seeds or whatever it takes to, to grow your own. And, and they could grow their own and do it themselves. Or do you think that – I guess my question is um, how much how much education do you think one should have before they're able to um, sell or give cannabis to somebody else? Should it be something like a, a, a doctor – uh, or or should it be you know a quick program that takes a year or two uh, of, of a turnaround? I don't want to say dealer, but somebody who could be a dispensary or or something like that. How how much education, how much training, how much schooling should one have to go through?
2: Well, I think there's a lot of different. There's a lot of nuance in that because a. Are you using it for recreational? Or are you using it to target specific medical conditions? Such a weird, if, unique industry. It is right because you can use it for recreation <laughs> and it can en- enhance your social experience and just if you're feeling well, it can just elevate that all But if you were or targeting cannabis use for a specific medical condition, um, whether it be cancer or autoimmune and inflammatory conditions, then absolutely you need a medical professional. But just for the average person at home, I would love to see that children are educated on the ways that they're educated on tobacco and alcohol and healthy eating and sex ed in school, and that their parents can grow a plant in their backyard and it's perfectly normal and it's part of our culture. And then people have the right and the choice to choose what path they want to take. So
0: it'd be like growing, you know, having a garden with tomatoes, vegetables.
1: Yes. Well, a huge problem we have is, you know, we tend to look towards medical doctors, Mm -hmm. MDs for... Medical advice, right? Mm-hmm. But the problem is, is that most medical professionals, right? Endocannabinoid science is not taught in, in high school. It's not taught in medical school. So a lot of these professionals, they're not educated on it. Not to mention, if you work, if your organization is publicly funded, you or you federally funded, you can't even talk about cannabis for the sake of losing your private funding. So all these people that we look to are the people who are qualified and have the medical training who would be you know, the best to educate us either have no education or are barred from even talking Mm -hmm. about it. So we're in this weird conundrum where we have to self-educate ourselves, but the resources out there... Are still lackluster and mm-hmm. still catching up so we're in you have I think that you have to be a user you have to be you know you have to be well read you have to actually read the science a lot of good CBD and endocannabinoid science comes out of Israel right yeah. Israel is really the the hotbed of endocannabinoid science but the problem is is now you start talking to people oh that's you know that's Uh. it's not uh, American-made research it's not how credible is it so it's like okay the one thing that we need and the one thing that we're pushing is we need more research okay redo, remove it from a schedule one drug right the definition of a schedule one drug is a high potential abuse and no medical benefit well, there's, it's been proven not to have addicted properties, and 35 states have medical marijuana programs, even some of the most red states. So that arguably could remove it from the Schedule mm-hmm. 1. And once you remove it from the Schedule 1, research becomes a lot easier because you no, have, no longer have to have that strict DEA license. So we're putting it in between a rock and a hard place where it's the police, the medical professionals, all these American medical associations want more research, but nobody's taking the steps to deschedule it so we can actually open up those floodgates. I was just in Toronto, mm, fun. <laughs> uh,
0: where now, correct me if I'm wrong, it's legal. It's recreational, right? Yeah. Yep. And uh, it's funny, because I should have went to the dispensary. We split didn't? The, we split the group in half. One, one, one half of the group was on booze control <laughs> and uh, acquisition, and the other half, since I didn't know a any- fun group. I didn't know much about it. They went to get uh, that. It's funny. I say that like it's still dirty. It's perfectly legal yeah. there. And they got- I didn't know this. They- and again- Excuse my ignorance. They had uh, certain things that you could smoke that would that would give you more energy, and then uppers and downers, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's
2: sativas like, versus indica's. Exactly.
0: That's those are the two words they use. And then uh, that, that they had what I uh, partook part, yeah, well, that I had some of was the chocolate bar mm. with edibles, right? Yeah. And each little square was ten milligrams. It was fun. It was great. Yeah. And we didn't, you know. It, it, and there were people there who partake illegally, obviously, mm-hmm. that they were in like their own little Disneyland. <laughs> and I just had a couple here and there. And the the place was always busy, is my point. The dispensary was always busy. Mm-hmm. And it's not what I, you know, you would think a couple of years ago about these potheads in long, you know, JNCO jeans and, and hoodies Drug and scrubs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they were just people in suits, people in, you know, like they were picking up Uh, takeout food or something to go home with. Mm. And I just thought that this is, this is, this would be great to be the new world where it's just another option of, 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 of something like that. Have you, have you been to other cities and, and.
1: Oh yeah. I've been to, so Massachusetts, Vegas, uh, California. I drove up to Oregon when I, when I was in Idaho for a wedding. I I was was going to say you drove
0: to Oregon from here. That's a celebration.
1: You know, you've never seen busy until you go to a newly opened, not oh, even newly yeah. opened, just like any sort of canvas dispenser. I went to this one uh, down at Brookline in Massachusetts and we waited in line for the, so it was like this old bank building in Brookline. It's called Netta. And outside they had like those uh, parade gates, right? That you would see. Sure. And there was a line and I was talking to the security guard. He said, from the day we opened, until now we have a line serpentined outside of our place from the time we open to the time we leave and people on average are spending anywhere between 100 and 300 dollars a visit and they're seeing 2000 people a day i mean can you yeah. i've never i don't know any type medical? of medical the- uh, it's medical and rec. So they, the way that met, uh, Massachusetts works is oh, that Massachusetts. They okay. have one one dispensary, but if you have a medical card, they've also they've actually d- have done pretty well with the medical program where they have an incentive based program. So if you have a medical card, you have access to higher THC limits. You mm-hmm. get to wait in your own special line, which is always uh, uh, shorter. Yeah, well, it makes sense because if it's for medical it, use, yeah, it's it more it imperative. Should. Yeah, yeah. 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 But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, Illinois just went legal on January 1, and there's data, data coming out. Like, within the first couple of days, they did, like, $3.5 million in sales. It's ridiculous. So
2: what's—I'm what's,
1: just—I know that
0: you're obviously both advocates. What's the argument on the other side? I know it's fear and education, and I believe you. I'm with you mm-hmm. on that. But what are they saying? Like, what what's in their wheelhouse of, of things that they say to argue against something like this? I mean— you even think you start to think dark, like the money's there, right? If that's the the first thing that they're thinking of, right? That these mm-hmm. these people up these one percenters mm-hmm. and stuff like that. The money's there, obviously, with the line around the corner. Um, uh, the demand. The they can even put a positive spin by saying it has. Well, what's the argument? What are they? What are they saying word for word to to go against? legalizing this is it the like you said the <laughs> lack of research you don't uh, have to quote anybody specifically but it I'm,
2: depends on who you ask it depends
1: <laughs> on who you ask so the biggest arguments that we've gotten were well what about the kids you know now that we're going to have legal marijuana. What if your kids get your hands on it? Well, okay, we're not advocating for child use. We're actually advocating for 21 and older responsible, responsible use. use. You have, you know, opiates that if your kid got a hand on its bottle and ate a handful of those, that would be their last pill, right? Mm-hmm. Liquor cabinets. Liquor that cabinets, mm-hmm. locks, right? right. On it. You, I mean, you mandate, you know, safe storage, child produced containers, all these things that already <laughs> exist. So that argument, no one void. Sure. The other, the gateway drug theory. And if you're still... It's you might as well walk yourself off the flat end of the flat Earth if you still think the gateway drug argument. It's it, it, it blows my mind to it, be it's honest. It's insulting. People still, yeah, it it's is insulting.
2: Is insulting. Ins- you're right. It's
1: like you know we expect, and we've gotten a lot from law enforcement, especially. It's like we hold you to a certain standard as law enforcement to at least have somewhat of an education about these laws and myths mm-hmm. that you're 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 speaking about. But when you come across when you come across and you start pushing the gateway 3 which what's been debunked seven ways from Sunday? How can we have any faith? In law enforcement, when they can't even have like fund a fundamental understanding of the facts, so it's a lot of it's reefer madness. A lot of it is is politically focused. You know, politics is is as hey. usual in New York State. So driving is another issue. We're also not advocating that people you know, smoke and get behind the wheel. But what we also know is that when you see states that have better access to cannabis, that we see a substitution effect away from opiates, tobacco, and alcohol. In doing so, we've seen a consistent decrease in alcohol-related accidents. So it's like, you know, all these things, you know, don't keep your, just like you wouldn't keep a a firearm or an open bottle of pills near your kids, store it safely, right? Are you going to be able to regulate out people being idiots and irresponsible, no. There are still laws that we Mm -hmm. can all agree on that you shouldn't steal, rape, or murder, but bad people and and always break the law. You're never gonna prevent people from breaking the law. But you can provide a framework in an environment that allows for safe and responsible adult usage. So when they point the, you know, what about the kids, blah, 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 that's very much already in the frame, in the focus of our advocacy efforts. But at this point, you know, they're riding on, on straw man arguments. They're riding on the last bit of, uh, of, you know, the arguments for be, for a being against cannabis are running out. Mm-hmm. And at this point, if you're on the other side, you're on the wrong side of history.
0: Now, Emily, you know, one gets out of high school and they go, okay, I'm going to go to medical school or I'm going to be a plumber. Like, mm-hmm. uh, like I am, <laughs> uh, what's it like to work, in an industry that kind of doesn't exist yet to kind of be on the the, the, the front lines of, of trying to build an industry so you can have people coming out of high school to want to be uh, people who own dispensaries or be in that field? What is it like to be in the, the, the pre-stages of that?
2: It's exciting and nerve-wracking at the same time. A lot of my work is dispelling misinformation putting out fires fighting these same arguments that we get um, but I come from a healthcare perspective I want people to feel better and I feel like we should all have that right and I just going back to that gateway drug thing it really upsets me when people say that because we all have an endocannabinoid system that interacts with these cannabinoids we don't tell people that water is a gateway drug we don't tell to people soda, right? that, that would make right sense. Yeah. right or that healthy food or you know we need potassium we don't say that bananas are a gateway drug like it the fact that our bodies have this endocannabinoid system, I think that people need to respect this plant a whole lot more than we currently do. Um, and, and also now be excited because going back to career opportunities, they are just going to blossom up. And just because there isn't, quote unquote, an industry there doesn't mean that you can't just pop up and say, hi, this is what I do. I didn't set out to be a cannabis educator, um, but I just... Did and in the pathways are opening up because people are so desperate for that education. So anyone who wants to get in this field, from agriculture all the way up to medical, there is going to be an opportunity at every sector.
0: I mean, something as simple as that security guard in Boston or in uh, Massachusetts oh, yeah. wouldn't be working at three o'clock on a Tuesday if it wasn't for
1: that exact the exact industry. Yeah, there's you know? really kind of two dis- different uh, industry paths that you can pick One one is plant touching, right? Mm-hmm. Are you growing? Are you processing? Are you selling at retail? Right now, because we don't have a legal marijuana industry, those don't really exist. But once once that gets here, the, that whole seed to sale, you know, job openings will open. But the other side we have to look at too is these ancillary, these oh. non-plant touching businesses. Because I believe any business that you currently run, whether it's a restaurant, whether mm-hmm. it's a podcast, whether it's a graphic design firm, a law firm, an accounting firm, you can all start to tackle cannabis and make your uh, uh, impact in the cannabis industry. We have a couple accounting firms and legal firms that are now taking cannabis and hemp clients. We have graphic design companies that are focused on Mm cannabis-focused branding. So all these ancillary businesses are really going to thrive. And the reality is when we start seeing these numbers coming out of Colorado, like another billion dollars a year from over-the-counter retail, that is you buy weed from my store, right, and give me money, and I give you weed. That's not including all the stuff that happened before that, all the farming mm-hmm. practices, all the processing, packaging, all, packaging, Package. everything. So the reality uh, of the of the economic impact of this industry is far greater than we're projecting. And not to mention, this is an all cash industry. So yeah, maybe there was a billion dollars coming out of recorded <laughs> cash. Sure, yeah. sure. You know, I like yeah. hoop that, you know. So like no, is the actual, every dollar. Right, yeah. Yeah. what, what about? is the actual <laughs> scope of this industry? In in my opinion. Dude, it's it's much bigger than what we're seeing.
0: Are we both familiar with the information that we're hoping to have come out tomorrow? Is it a bill
1: or is it is it a bill? Yeah, so uh, tomorrow, the way the legislative, uh, the way the political process works in New York is that at the beginning of the year, the Governor Cuomo the executive branch will release a budget bill, which encompasses all these different spending bills, right? And all of his different kind of initiatives. Uh, because cannabis has such a profound economic impact, it will be included in this budget there's pros and cons to that the the, the one pro is that it uh, the budget gives politicians an opportunity to indirectly support this uh, a cannabis bill or any bill without putting their name on it right so The Republican Party in New York State has come out uh, wholly against cannabis, right? But we know for a fact, based on conversations we've had in Albany with Republican politicians and staffers, is that if it came down to it, they would support it. So if they are voting for the budget, right, they may support the budget, but realistically, they'll actually be supporting cannabis. So in terms of garnering votes, it's positive. The problem is, is that the bill that goes through with the budget is designed by the governor, right? And the governor, his expectations for cannabis are vastly different than the rest of our Democratic House and the 66% of supporting constituents in New York State. So he released what was called the CRT last year, the Cannabis Regulation and Taxation Act, which in my opinion, it was a terrible bill. It wasn't even my opinion. It was objectively a terrible bill and didn't encompass all of the pillars, right? The fundamental pillars you need for a good cannabis bill. grow, social justice and community reinvestment, improvements to the medical program, uh, a, a small business-focused industry framework that doesn't allow for vertically vertical integration, right? His bill didn't look anything like that. The only thing that it did have that we we all agree on is that it established an Office of Cannabis Management, will now create essential, a, a separate bureau, very similar to the Department of Health or, or the Department of Agriculture and Markets, to focus specifically on medical, adult use, and hemp. So... Tomorrow there'll be a bill. I've had rumors that it'll be similar to the CRT with minor changes. I've heard it similar. It would be similar to the MRT with minor changes. But t- don't take anything don't take <laughs> that serious. Anything could happen in New York politics. Albany is arguably the most corrupt state government <laughs> in the country. Mm-hmm. That is a fact. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Right. And the, and the reality is is because there's a lot of money that comes out uh, well, of the state. And, and
0: uh, from what I hear, I'm not a, I'm not a, into politics as much as uh, as you or you, but. He, Governor Cuomo, really focuses on the New York City, uh, you know, yes. way more than anywhere else. And to, to think like homegrown and stuff like that, I'm sure he's picturing what it would look like in New York City as opposed to the entire yeah.
1: state. Well, you know, and let's think about this, right? I think I think the tr- there's many goals of of implementing a a successful cannabis legalization program. And one of the most important ones, it's twofold, right? To create a small business infrastructure that is accessible and equitable and starts to be able to provide opportunities for those folks who've been disproportionately impacted by the drug war, along with other underserved communities, you know, uh, women, veterans, small farmers, right? Historically underserved and undervoiced populations. And secondly, it's to be able to start... Uh, infusing resources back into these communities most harmed, right? We th- in Rochester is mm-hmm. a textbook example. We have been war torn by the war on drugs, right? And those the black and brown communities have historically taken the brunt of that, right? That is that is factual. That is undeniable. Sure. So part of this initiative is to be able to create a community reinvestment fund where we take a, subs- a significant portion of the tax revenue and start to use that money to rebuild these communities that need it the most. And in order for that to happen to be the most effective it would only make sense that the more full these coffers are right the more impact we can have and what we've seen in states like colorado that have a small focused small farmer small processor small retail and really focus on small supply community focused supply chains those are the states and those are the infrastructure that generates the most money right and the more money in these coffers means the more impact we can have but we got to take it even a step further and that's where we start to look at the New York state craft beer and wine industry mm-hmm. which is thriving sure right the New York uh, the Rockefeller Institute of Government which is a government uh, research institute in New York came out with a study last year that really drew a parallel between the craft beer industry and what will soon be the craft beer cannabis industry and the and uh, forgive me i don't know exactly what the numbers are but the craft beer industry has paid something like $500 million in tax revenue Mm -hmm. and has brought over 45,000 jobs. And in my opinion, we will see uh, cannabis will surpass that. But the most fundamentally important thing to the craft industry is the ability to brew your own beer. Nobody gets into the industry and just says, I don't have any experience brewing beer, but I'm gonna start a brewery. Sure. You know, We held a panel event last year that had all, that had five uh, craft brewery owners. It was uh, K2, Three Heads, Knucklehead, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm drawing a blank There's on There's so the many of them remember. Are, but, yeah. yeah, and at the end of it, I asked them two questions, and I said, one, raise your hand if you all brewed your own beer before getting into business everybody raised their hand. My second question was, where would your businesses be today if you weren't allowed to brew your own beer? And they all said the same thing. There'd be no business. We wouldn't have one. Home grow is the same as brewing your own beer right yes. and if you disallow home grow you you prevent you know that is an economic driver into into building this small business infrastructure so it makes no economic sense for them to disallow people to home grow their own cannabis people aren't coming around you know preventing people from grow their own tomatoes or peppers anything from it's chefs, anything. It's chefs
0: yes. probably start with yeah. having an interest at cooking at home you know and stuff yeah. like that so it's this
1: whole issue is multifaceted and complicated but when you lay it out and you say you look at home grow as rather than a tool to drive profits away from the pharmaceutical companies for the fear that why would people pay three times the market price when they could grow their own it's very hard to grow cannabis it is very very difficult to grow medical grade cannabis so it's not a fear home grow drives small business small business drives uh, tax revenue. This tax revenue goes into community investment, and when you put all these pieces together in a, in a in a bill, and you put social justice and economic empowerment at the forefront, you have unarguably the comprehensive and best most uh, best cannabis piece of legislation in the country. But will Governor Cuomo you, use that advice? We'll, we'll say We'll know tomorrow.
0: We'll say. Um, I have two more questions. One is, <clears throat> I'll ask you, Emily, since you're in the healthcare uh, space. So my mom had rheumatoid arthritis, mm-hmm. and she uh, took painkillers, prednisone, for inflammation medicine. She took, uh, she smoked weed. Um, you know, obviously illegally. Mm-hmm. Uh, if she was still with us, let's say, uh, and everything goes the way that we would hope it would go with with what you're fighting for, what does her life look like in a world where all of this is completely legal? Uh, coming from somebody who would benefit from it medically.
2: I'm so sorry about your mom. That's okay. <laughs> um, but that's exactly what I specialize in helping my clients with, As I work with clients who have autoimmune and inflammatory conditions. And it's really just about the choice to choose the medication that you want. right? So if you have rheumatoid arthritis, and say you're on methotrexate, and your doctor says this is your option. In and, and the world that I'd like to see moving forward, you know, you know, your doctor says you can try this or you can try this. And so here is how you do both safely. And I always tell all my clients cannabis is a self-experiment but to have a medical professional hold your hand through that process so you can see if cannabis is right for you. But in terms of, say, rheumatoid arthritis, there are many different application methods when it comes to cannabis, right? We have edibles, we have topicals, Mm -hmm. we have inhalants. They all act differently in the body. So providing that education to your mother to say, you know, this might be the better option for you or you might do an edible, either way, you're providing that education and you're empowering people to make their own choice. I think that's the most important. And
0: it depends, it depended on the day for her there's days where she would get up shower clean the whole house do nine yep. loads of laundry because I'm one of six kids <laughs> um, and there's days where she would have to she wouldn't be able to move I, yep. I would, she would wake me up at one in the morning to rub her feet just to get some circulation going so to have those options and of, to imagine
2: I'd, like if she could just have you know a medicine cabinet full of different options an oil a topical a vape and that she could choose based on how she's feeling because she's educated and empowered enough to know I have these options mm-hmm. this is how I can use them and then she's taking care of herself right and she doesn't need to go back to the doctor multiple times and say this isn't working because she has those choices in front of her and she's empowered and enabled to make them for herself.
0: And she would, you know, she would go and they would, he, a specific doctor, and I don't know if it ended well with him or not, I forget, but so I won't, you know, say his name for the sake <laughs> of uh, whatever. But uh, she, they would try, they would kind of try stuff on her, try different painkillers and different medications and stuff and i get that's probably the industry
2: that's how healthcare is you know we we expect to go to a doctor and get a solution but it's still guessing mm-hmm. just like cannabis people get nervous when i say to them cannabis is a self-experiment but so is every other medication and there's a lot of prescription medications that Folks go on and the doctor says, or the patient says, I'm not feeling well, this isn't right for me. And the doctor says, just wait it out a couple months and see how Mm. you feel. You know, our healthcare system is so inherently flawed, but we put way too much power in the hands of our doctors. We think that they have all of the answers. We are not empowered to take care of ourselves. We are not looking at nutrition. We are not looking at lifestyle factors. I think that cannabis should be considered like a lifestyle factor, like nutrition, like hydration, exercise, and good sleep, because that puts the power back into the, the hands of the patient and really lo- lessens the burden on the healthcare system that we already have. If we can teach people how to feel well on their own, we won't be infiltrating all of our systems that are already overwhelmed.
1: Yeah, and and... You know, I think we can both say that cannabis is not a silver bullet, right? You have to discuss nutrition, sleep. It's all of it. It's all these things, but we can start you know, we are such a break and fix society, you know, we wait till we're sick or, you know, Mm -hmm. I I wait till my car starts making enough noise like, okay now I really have to go get it fixed. Mm -hmm. But if we started dialing it back and say, hey, maybe we start drinking more water and less soda and maybe more green vegetables instead of processed crap and maybe we actually start sleeping you know, eight hours a night. When you start to, you know, and coupled with a cannabis and like just a general like supplementation Mm regimen, you'll start to see people becoming inherently healthier, Yes, right? You start having healthier immune systems. You start having less uh, noise, right? Nutritional noise is what comes in a lot of this processed food. So I think we're really on the path towards, yeah, cannabis is going to get legalized. Um, I think it'll be this year. But I think we're starting to realize like, health does not lie in your physician's hands. People mm-hmm. have to be empowered. People have to understand and be educated. It's not that easy to like realize, oh this, you can tell people eat more of this, eat more of this. Sometimes you have to spell it out for people. It's complicated. <laughs> Macronutrients, micronutrients, sure. stuff like that. Like how to tell between, is this organically grown or is this not? So it's like really taking, you know, what we like to say in the industry is a full spectrum <laughs> of to health and wellness. Um, Cause cannabis is, no, there's no such thing as a silver. Of bowl. course, right. no such thing.
0: Right. Um, Besides the update on the Cuomo thing, which we'll patch at the end of this episode, um, be honest here, both of you. Do you think on the recreational side of these, I'm obsessed with the lines wrapping around the, the <laughs> corner of the place you went to in Massachusetts. Do you think um, now, of course, there's an appeal because it's new and we can do it and you can't type thing. Do you think once everything is legal across the country? do you think those numbers will decrease because of the new and the exclusivity wearing off of the recreational side only? Do you think the, the lines around the corner and, and everybody doing it as much as they're doing it, do you think, uh, you know, just because you go into the business of, of, of cannabis and open a dispensary, let's say, it doesn't mean you're going to instantly be super successful. Do you think that, uh, and how much do you think it would decrease if you do think?
2: I think, I do think it will change personally. I think um, once people start to understand the price fixing that goes on in these dispensaries, once people start to realize, hey, I can either make this at home for a lot cheaper, I can get this from someone I know for a lot cheaper, we know that the dispensaries and the medical marijuana dispensaries prices are outrageous. And eventually, once this becomes more normalized, people are going to start to understand that and find alternative options because most people don't want to pay that price.
1: Yeah. And uh, like any new industry, especially something as controversial and awesome as like a a drug industry, like there is a novelty factor Mm -hmm. where, you know, in the first years, you know, you don't see any industry. You don't open any restaurant or business, anything where you're making that much money in just a couple days. Mm -hmm. But we've already seen it. If you I was looking at the financials of the Illinois market the other day and you're already starting to see a decrease. It's still substantial, yeah, but it's very much a gold rush right now. Right. And I think that while so many, you know, who made the money in the gold rush? It wasn't the people that had the gold. It was the people with the picks and axes. So this is very much focused on how can I grow, how can I process, and how can I sell at retail. The money in this industry, the true longitudinal money where the the industry will be built on lies in tech. It lies Mm -hmm. in picks and axes. It lies in research. And once people, you know, we get through this whole like, you know, marijuana you no know, this retail this retail industry and this retail excitement i think the industry is going to continue to grow because let's be honest the entire industry has been kind of uh uh focused on one individual now two individual cannabinoids thc and cbd mm-hmm. but each we're already seeing that uh, cbd is proving to be a tw- is going to be what 20 billion dollar industry mm-hmm. by 2020 that's one what? cannabinoid that has its own specific unique biological and physiological functions and it's one of over 110
2: that e- we know of that we know that
1: we know of right there's actually two that just got Th- really cp p- and, and cbdp yep. so yeah. compared to something
0: like okay so like ice cream only chocolate and vanilla are out right now
1: yes yeah. And perfect yes. Okay. Yeah yes yep. and there are each what you know when we say strains or indica and sativa we look, we think of these as chemovars or chemical variants and they're kind of like these combinations of all these different molecules that in this specific combination one might work for depression. Mm-hmm. One might work for wow. pain. So the, what we need to do is we need to now focus, okay, we need to break down like, kind of like the human genome project is to understand what does CBD exactly do? What does THC do? What do the terpenes do? And then we start to, to homogenize and say, we believe that the combination of these molecules will be good for for you know this ailment so we, there's a lot of information to be to be learned there's a lo- you know we're just this is the tippy tippy top of the snowflake on top of the iceberg mm-hmm. but long story short i think the the retail lines and that craze will start to diminish well that'll open the floodgates for much more the foundational uh growth so we have we have
0: the iphone body but there's a lot of software updates yeah. to come the apps. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. okay yeah, cool yeah can right.
1: i can i ask a technical question that i've I've been trying to figure out, and I think you're probably the only person qualified oh, to answer. That's so well, no nice. pressure. So, okay, so we talk about like what happens to to THC specifically when it starts in the flour to compared to when you smoke it. So, when it's in the flour, right? You, if you eat a piece of, of marijuana flour, you're not going to get high because it's in its THC ass, a. THCa. Yep. And when you decarboxylate it, aka heat it, aka light it on fire, it decarboxylates and turns into delta nine THC, which is a psychoactive component, Correct. right? But when you eat cannabis, right? It's <laughs> great question. It further comes to uh, a, n- a different form of THC, S- which is what eleven
2: HCOO. It's like
1: eleven hydroxy yes. THC, right? Yes. So here's my question: Does that same type of pathway happen with CBD? Because it starts as CBDA, it goes to CBDA, CBD. What happens is there eleven O eight CBD? Is there a because di- the the, the Delta or the 11 OH THC is much different and much more potent oh. and a much different high than smoking weed. Yes. I'm, I'm so happy you asked that. I was going to ask that question. Um. So I get
2: like really <laughs> passionate about this and I've done a lot of research on it because I write for CRX magazine, which is a cannabis for medical professional magazine. So I've Really dove into the research on this. They're not sure about CBD, and some of the research might point to the fact that CBD might actually turn into more of a THC form and actually provide some of those psychoactive effects. But you're right, this and this is where like my dietitian slash cannabis practitioner comes together. Eating cannabis is completely different than smoking it, than applying it, than I and. So one in five people will not have this reaction. It's all based on how our liver metabolizes these compounds. It's called the hepatic first pass metabolism. One in five people don't experience any effects from edibles, but those other four out of five, when it gets metabolized, turns into that THCOO and produces, in some cases, some very hallucinogenic effects, which can induce panic attacks, paranoia. That's why we're seeing all these issues with edibles when they say like people are going to yeah. the emergency room eating a brownie because a lack of education people don't know. This, if we could tell people this, and they would be safe yes. and know it. Um, but science is not there yet on what exactly happens to CBD. But there is some very interesting preliminary evidence showing that it might actually have more of an effect than we think.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because we always talk about like bioavailability with other right. bills is sub six percent to tinctures and to uh, smoking. But like the, the reality-
2: but. Could yeah. it
1: actually be higher? Oh, absolutely. And could oh, it be absolutely. a different molecule. I don't know.
2: It absolutely, Ken. And that's, again, where the, the issues of safety come into play, right? Where most people say that they've had a, a, a negative experience with cannabis is because they've eaten too much of it. Yes. And this has happened. It's not usually from smoking. And, and th- too much THC can absolutely cause this in individuals as well. If smoked, that anxiety, panic attack, sure. paranoia. Yeah. But it's the edibles. It's that hepatic first pass metabolism that really needs to be studied, needs to be addressed and needs to have education around
1: yeah. it's a different animal i've smoked weed pretty much every single day for almost the last 10 years, 10 years. and Me i can't do it well <laughs> I, I don't do ten, edible i ate a I d- 10 milligram you edible did. in vegas before the you saturday did. show and i was in I bed for six hours before the interview because i was like "I got to." we were at brunch and <laughs> <sorry>. like, <laughs> i have to get out of here right now i have to go lay down i
2: don't touch them. well no. we've been playing around making some at home we made a cannabis infused coconut oil we're just kind of playing around with things but um i'm scared like it I've been using cannabis for 10 years. I don't mess with edibles like that. And I wish people would know that because they go to the dispensary and they're like, well, I don't know what to get. I'll just get a brownie because it's easy. And that's probably the the biggest impact you're going to see is taking something like that. But if we don't have the education, if people don't even know this going into it. And then again, I feel like people have negative experiences, say I'll never do this again and discredits the great things that cannabis can do.
0: Now, if these dispensaries can sell uh, if this can have if if, if eating a 10 milligram uh, would you say a brownie or a chocolate or something yeah, uh, has that effect on you? How how is it regulated with the dispensaries? How can they sell a chocolate bar that has 50? Obviously one one piece is 10 each. Let's say yeah. that's what I we bought like a like a Hershey bar size and it was broken up into squares just like a regular traditional Hershey bar and each of those squares was 10 milligrams. How can they like what would that have done to you if you ate a half of it? Obviously they could advise yeah. not to, yeah. but. I guess you could buy, you could buy as much alcohol as you want too. Yeah. I, you know, my,
1: my opinion on this may be an unpopular opinion in the consumer world, but I am uh, an advocate of establishing some sort of THC limits. I don't think that you should, you know, I've seen um, images of products coming out of Colorado of like a thousand milligram brownie. (sighs) We're like, have a nibble of this. If you eat a thousand milligram uh, brownie, you're going to have a bad day. You're going to have a couple (laughs) bad days. A couple. Yeah. And and, 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 in my opinion, and I'd like to see where your opinion is, is I don't think that the amount of THC, the high THC potency, has anything, is not more important than having a full spectrum product. People want, I want 100% THC, or 99.9% THC, the efficacy from what the research is showing out is that the more whole, like organically grown, quality produced, full spectrum products have more of a medicinal effect. These high potency, high octane products, some of it's for sport, some of it's there's always gonna be people that wanna get as screwed up as possible. Fine, teach his own. But in terms of like You know, I don't think we should have thousand milligram brownies or things that like at least you're going to. Maybe you have a thousand milligrams total, but they have to be individual pieces wrapped individually. Because if you have someone who's unexperienced bite into something like that, you're going to ruin their time and they're never going to have anything good to say about cannabis for here on out.
2: I absolutely agree. And then again, it comes back to education. If we could just have some standardized education and saying, okay, because here's the thing. With edibles, there's a delayed onset, and Mm -hmm. there's a delayed reaction. And so say you're vaping, right? It takes one to three minutes to take effect. It lasts maybe one to three hours. You're eating an edible. It could be anywhere from 30 minutes to six hours (laughs) that you feel it even kick in. And then it can last anywhere from 6 to 12 hours, right? And so if someone uneducated doesn't this and takes a little bit of that brownie and in an hour says it's not going to do anything happens every single time they take more and then their world is rocked and people there's no education people don't understand and i really think that people should understand a their own tolerance level you know play around safely in your own home when you have the weekend off where you're not driving so that you know how you react to these things and b just i feel like again that like The entourage effect, you know, we're not talking about it nearly enough. It's what it's called, the entourage effect, when all of these cannabinoids work together. And in terms of tolerance, I don't want to touch these high THC products because we do build up tolerances. And so if you're going for an 80, 90% THC item every time, your tolerance is going to be so high that then you're going to continue to need more and more and more to feel that way. And then you kind of do run into this is it healthy is this or is this a habit type that's, thing that's why i
1: look at the dab market and i yeah, i'm exactly. a traditionalist when it comes to the to cannabis i like smoke joints yeah once. like that's that's but my the thing da-
2: dabs are a perfect example yeah. where D- do you go after dabs?
1: dabs yeah i have friends that like can't, i can't even people that or can't, they can't even get high. Flower in, the, in the, at the dab market in my opinion you know this is just my opinion is that that becomes more of a, of an intoxicant more of the drug market because yes. you're getting high po- i mean you have to use a freaking blowtorch yes, and a hot nail yes. to catch a buzz and to each his own no judgment passed but cannabis has been around in the smokable formula it's, it's I natural just think there, I there's always going to be these progressions it's just that you know we always want extreme 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 but in p- terms of practicality, I think it's unnecessary.
0: And there's something beautiful about a, a joint, isn't there? A natural. My, even my mom with arthritis, I'm yeah. not making fun of her. I watch her do it. She was still better than my stepdad, the guy who came mm-hmm. to deliver stuff. Yeah. She would do it one hand. Uh, yeah. It's yeah. just something... There's an art to it. I'm not even trying to be yeah. funny. It's yeah, because I've no. tried to do it. Yeah. In Toronto, everybody... I'll just tell you. Everybody was too messed up right. to roll joints. So <laughs> I took a crack at it. It's hard. It's yeah. super hard. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. I'll, uh, I'll tell you this. And I... This is a little bit of an insecurity of mine, but I'm going to go on the record. I am a cannabis activist and entrepreneur, and I can't roll for shit. But luckily, like we talked <laughs> about ancillary businesses, right? So Raw is like a pretty is a reputable yeah, the paper company. cones they have cones. They're already pre-rolled. All you gotta do is grind up your reed Pokemon. beautiful. In. And oh you yeah, have, you're rolling perfect baseball bats actually, every single time. Actually, when
2: we were in Vegas, I went to all the booths to get a free sample of everything because yeah. they had free samples of everything. Oh, and yeah. I got this little joint roller. Oh, like the cigarette roller. Yeah, right? Those are you pretty just cool put it because yeah. I can't yeah. roll it's a like joint. The like yeah. I actually saw something on Facebook that said 60% of cannabis users can't roll a joint. I'm guilty. Sorry. I didn't I'm trying. Wow, I'm feeling pretty yeah. good
1: about myself. Yeah. Mine were like pencil thin and they're just wet and like, like <laughs> I'm embarrassed. I would, I'm honestly, <laughs> but it is a I
2: think what you said is true is like respecting the raw flour as well. I see a lot of parallels in terms of nutrition and cannabis, right? So for so long, people grew their own food. They, it was homesteading, you do it yourself. And then comes our pre-packaged market, right? And in the seventies and eighties, we start packaging everything. We think they're healthier because they're convenient. Come into the nineties and two thousands, we realize it's absolutely shit for yeah. our bodies it's probably the worst thing we could have done now we're making this movement back towards whole foods yeah. i see the same thing happening with cannabis where the only thing you ever had was raw flour now we have dabs and chocolates and a little bit of everything we're processing it i think eventually we're going to go back to that raw flour and really have yeah. that respect for the whole plant itself
1: yeah i think when we look at the craft market and we start to see you know this return to farm to table yeah. this return it's to home thing. production you know some people will grow their own but i think that we have so many talent we have it in Incredibly talented, we have a a robust underground growers market here in Rochester. And if we can start to, you know, integrate those folks back into the legal industry coupled with our small farmers that already, you know, organic vegetable farmers Mm -hmm. are excellent at growing hemp. My organic vegetable farmer friends are crushing the hemp industry, right? So if we can really get back to this, you know, farm to table, these small craft grows, be able to have the three heads or the K2s or the knuckleheads of the world Mm -hmm. where you can go to your little homegrown and maybe they'll only have five or six products. Mm -hmm. But when you look at like, you know, there's every... You know, a different combination of cannabinoids, flavonoids and terpenes comprises a different product and with like there's literally over like tens of thousands of different it's, possible yeah. combinations and sure. different combinations are different products. So, so there's room in every there's room for everybody to not only play in the sandbox, but to, to thrive and you know, while you know, Farmer Jim down the road might have a product that's really good for pain. He has a good clienti- pain clientele. Farmer Sally might have a product that's really good for, for RA or really good for anxiety. So I think we're going to start to see this kind of gig economic, you know, ailment focused, uh, craft quality focused mm-hmm. industry sprout. I think that's what the cannabis consumers want to see. Mm-hmm. Keeps yeah, prices I mean- of you know.
0: It's like the I, you know, three heads—the the kind of IPA. You go there for an IPA. You go to the Genesis House for the cream ale. Yeah,
1: something, something like that. S- and they all work it. together. There's, there's, right. how many craft breweries yeah. are in Rochester? Right, like, and they all—they all love each other. Collaborative. There's room for everybody, sure. right? There's mm-hmm. a, you know, this industry is very synonymous with cannabis. There's a lot of collaboration, and I think the more people that collaborate and share their ideas, we're just going to see a more successful industry.
0: We're running out of time uh, because I want to get your. Predictions which a couple minutes from now you'll see the update about the the Cuomo thing and I'm hungry. No relation to what we're talking <laughs> about. Sure. Is there anything else you want to add quickly or uh, where can people find you? Uh, how can people support if they're if they're super pro CBD like you guys are or, or cannabis? Uh, what, what, what information do you have for people or can they just jump on your pages and you usually post stuff about how to support?
1: I uh- or is it difficult
0: oh. to do that? Because I heard you guys talk before about regulations on social media.
1: Oh. Yeah. Um, so so uh, a, a great place for like the regulatory and policy side is Rock Normal. Re- mm-hmm. Rock Normal is arguably the one of the most influential... Uh, activism groups in the in the state right now. We're leading the charge in the advocacy. We're going to be in Albany for the next eight weeks. There's social media and uh, Instagram, Facebook, website, great for policy updates. Yeah,
0: spell just R O C normal N O
1: R M L right M L okay so yes. no way. N-
0: R-O-C-N-O-R-M-L. M-L.
1: Yep. Got it. And then I, my website is um, I do That's where I do my consulting. That's where you can kind of learn about me and the types of things that I believe in some of my projects. So policy, uh, rock normal, business and industry, steveandwell.com. And Emily?
2: Um, Rock Normal also for community events. If you're interested, they have a lot of really fun community events, especially if you're new to cannabis, not really sure how to delve in. It's a safe place to get started and get to meet people. Um, otherwise, I share everything on my website, EmilyKyleNutrition.com, and I'm a huge fan of Instagram at EmilyKyleNutrition.
0: Thank you guys so much for coming in. Appreciate Th- the thank conversation. You. Thanks so for awesome. having us. All right, let's get to those uh the, the post uh, Cuomo announcement bill thing right now. Let's see what the Emily and, and Steve have to say.
2: Hey everybody, Emily Kyle here. Just a quick little recap on the new proposed legislation that went out. Um, I can't say I'm necessarily surprised. I think the biggest point in this that people are balking at is the 46% tax rate, which we know will just drive sales to the illicit market as we've seen in Colorado, California in Washington State. So nonetheless, I'm glad to see it being discussed. I'm hopeful for legalization in 2020, and I guess hopefully we'll just iron out all the details on later on down the road. So I'll just take what we can get at this point.
1: What's up, everybody? I'm going to give you a quick rundown of some of the highlights of the new bill that was released on Tuesday. Uh, it's going to be called the Cannabis Regulation and Taxation Act. Um, the first is the establishment of an office of cannabis management. This is a state oversight board that will oversee the medical marijuana program, the adult use rec market, and the hemp program. and it'll pull all the cannabis and hemp entities under one roof, which I think is a great idea. They also want to allow home cultivation um, of four plants. However, the only right now as it's written, you can only home grow is if you are if you have a medical marijuana card. Um, We kind of figured that would be where they they met us in the middle. Um, We're obviously advocating for everybody to be able to home grow, but I think worst case scenario right now in order to home grow, um, it'll look like you'll have to get a medical card, but uh, stay tuned for updates on that. They want to allow micro business license, which will allow businesses of a certain small size similar to a craft brewery to cultivate, process, distribute, and uh, have retail sales all under one roof. Uh, this is really good for uh, for a, for a growing economy. We look at the craft and, and craft beer and wine market in New York, and it's thriving. And we can only imagine how impactful it would be to have that craft cannabis industry here in New York. Um, another positive thing is they want they're allowing on-site consumption licenses so um, already existing businesses or businesses that have yet to exist will be able to get a license where people can come and consume cannabis on site you will not be able to consume alcohol on the same site which means bars will not be able to have that which i think is fine uh but imagine being able to go into your favorite coffee shop light up a joint and relax i mean that's something that uh, is really awesome so a. Problem with the bill is the exorbitantly high tax structure. They really want to tax the hell out of everybody within the supply chain, which is what we we know transfers onto the consumer, um, which causes really high end retail prices. When you have retail prices that are sky high and that are much higher than in the illicit market, we see people transition from the legal market over to the illegal market or the illicit market. We're seeing it in California. Uh, some projections say that since California has been legalized They've done about 16 billion dollars in sales and only three billion dollars have been from the legal market and the remaining 13 billion have been from the illicit market and we know we all know that There's no taxes on the illicit market. So we have to lower the taxes. That's something that will be a priority for ours for us and finally there needs there is a lot of positive language around social equity and economic economic empowerment programs. That's something we wanted to see. However, it leaves all of this, the decision-making up to the board members of the Office of Cannabis Management. Uh, so we'll really hope that people that are elected to this office are people that understand the priorities of this industry, that understand the disproportionate harms that have had to a lot of these communities in New York State. Um, but yeah, that's obviously not a full uh, comprehensive analysis. It is a, it is a comprehensive 220-page bill. Um, I'd like to do a follow-up full hour comprehensive analysis of everything because the devil is in the details, and there's a lot of things that I wasn't able to cover. Uh, but those are kind of the highlight points right off the bat. And if you have any questions, reach out to me on Facebook, at Steve or reach out to at Rock Normal on either Facebook or Instagram, and we'd be happy to answer any questions. Take care.
0: So there you have it, the update. You're all caught up, uh, and we'll be happy to have Emily and Steve back on. Thank you so much for watching and listening to The Chris Kanye Show. Share with your friends, subscribe, and uh, if you're interested in advertising, please contact us at Rochester Podcast Network at gmail.com.